today I'm going to talk uh, a little bit from chapter 9 of the book that is going to be published early in 2024. And the book is I'm a Christian, so why am I still dot dot dot? Fill in the gap for yourself. And I've I've been reading from these chapters and then speaking to them and expanding them a little further. So today um, I'm going to read from chapter 9. Now, the idea here is that it's not an audio book. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a part of it and then I'm going to speak to it. So you won't get the whole chapter, uh, but you will get an interesting part of the book that we'll then expand on. So this is chapter nine, In a Discipleship Towards Harmony and Growth. So, how do we bring all this together? I want you to take the idea and importance of inner harmony from John 17, discussed earlier, then add the idea of discipleship, as Jesus taught it and lived it out. Where does this take you? How do things fit together in a way that helps you to grow spiritually? I want to introduce you to the idea of inner discipleship. If these ideas get you feeling maybe a little wobbly, remember the evidence-based ideas from neuroscience that our parts are natural and not pathological. The men who became disciples were just living natural lives, trying to make a living and get on in their world. Their ideas of how best to manage were formed by the circumstances they were in. So remember, firstly, that they were traumatised and oppressed. They were taught a world view that forever condemned them to feel bad about themselves. All was under the power of the Pharisees and the occupation of the Romans. When Jesus said, I forgive you, it threw them into a dispute with the world that condemned them but it created harmony within them. Now you're caught in the same trap that the disciples were in, but possibly for varied reasons. Their trap was the weight of God's law and their sinful nature. Today it may be more about the medical model and how it creates and constructs your thinking. Either way, recovery and growth become possible when we are released from the trap and live in forgiveness and harmony. The trap of judgment brings inner conflict and self-loathing. Freedom through forgiveness offers you an opportunity for better relationships, particularly with yourself. When you hate that part of you that sins and gets you to do things that are unhealthy or wrong, you enter a battle with yourself that you're probably going to lose. There is little chance that your mind is going to beat your brain. This is just the sort of trap that Satan wants you in. An everlasting battle that you can't win. What a distraction. Staying in that trap guarantees that you will not be doing the work of the kingdom effectively. When Jesus told us of the good news, he released us from this trap, and yet so many of us returned to it. In my work with addicted people, I always start at this point. 
I make sure that my clients understand that to recover, they must develop a better relationship with themselves. To avoid this horrible trap, they have to stop hating themselves for the things that they do. Paul helps us to understand this in his first letter to the Corinthians. And then I read from 1 Corinthians 2.16. For who has known the mind of the Lord, so has to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. It can be difficult to shift from a massive cultural idea such as the medical model and the judgment and the self-loathing that comes with it. You may find that the biggest difficulty you have is facing a fear that your issues will run amok if you stop fighting with them uh, with everything you have. But I have found this is rarely ever the case. As long as you have the desire to work with your parts, reassuring them that you, your Christ-mindedness that is, are present, willing and able to handle whatever they feel they need to protect you from. That you are more than able to manage this challenge. Like the disciples with Christ, they will learn to trust you and stop insisting on this way of protecting you. This is just what Jesus did with the disciples. He showed them that he was with them, fully present and able to deal with any and all difficulties that they faced, many times saying, fear not, offering them new and better ways of managing themselves in different circumstances. All the way through the Old and New Testament, God reminds us that we do not need to fear. Nowhere better than in Psalm 23. And I quote here from verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When Jesus was left with the woman caught in the act of adultery, that's John 8 verse 11, it is important to recognise that he condemns the sin but loves the sinner. He said, go now and leave your life of sin. So it's time now to make the brave decision to develop a new relationship with your parts. Just as God did when he sent his son, instead of punishing yourself for not following the rules well enough, it's time to work with your parts lovingly, appreciating what they're trying to do instead of blaming them for what they're not doing or for what they produce. And you can only do this from the perspective of knowing that they're always trying to make a good thing happen. So what's this about? We're getting to the practice part now. And we're talking about making brave decisions. We're talking about trying to adopt and adapt a completely new way of thinking about yourself. And I want you to expect that this will be difficult, that, you know, this, this isn't going to be easy because of the massive amounts of influence you have culturally on yourself. But it's basically what the whole book is based on, which is Romans 12 and verse 2, which as part of verse 2 says, 
don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now that just doesn't mean just having a few nice fluffy thoughts. It means literally thinking differently about life, the universe and everything. And that you start with yourself. So the idea of saying the most important thing is something that no one else can see. Well, that's such a massive challenge. When we're so based on appearances and uh, keeping up with the Joneses or not disappointing people and never saying no or uh, facing the the wrath of, of people who we have disappointed and so on. Everything's so externalised that to to make something that no one will ever see the most important thing is a massive challenge. When I say to you that your relationship with yourself should become the most important thing, we're starting to see the level of challenge that that brings. So it can start with a simple exercise like asking yourself, what does my inner talk, or what we might call inner self-talk, look like, sound like? How do I talk to myself about myself? Would it be X-rated? Would everyone be able to, would you be happy if, if people heard this? How you talk to yourself about yourself? How encouraging are you with yourself? How much do you congratulate and celebrate when you do things well? Not necessarily with other people, but just uh, giving yourself a pat on the back. Some of us have been taught that this is absolutely the wrong thing to do, you know, and we think it's the opposite of humility or something. But that's just overbalanced. Think about doing something bad and then not falling out with yourself about it. Now, on the face of it, people are horrified by this idea. Even non-addicts and just people who are just trying to be good Christians are saying, no, I should feel bad when I do something bad. Well, yes, in an ideal world you should. But the problem is that, generally speaking, we're so overbalanced towards a bad relationship with ourselves that to put this idea first, to think about developing a better relationship with yourself and not slaughtering yourself with guilt and condemnation every time you do something wrong. This simply balances the field back up. And that's a good start, right? And there's another good reason why we shouldn't condemn ourselves even when we get something wrong or fall below the standards that we have set for ourselves. And the reason is education. You see, if we're going to grow, we have to learn. Okay? So there's a process. So the first thing we have to do when we grow is to raise awareness and be more aware of what's going on with us, right? But then we have to learn from this. Okay? Now, how do we do this? Well, I'll tell you how we don't do it. We don't do it by hating ourselves every time we put a foot wrong. The educational experts tell us that we, when we do this, we, we basically ruin the context for learning. You don't really learn anything while you're having a go at yourself, 
right? It might sound like you're, you're correcting yourself or being firm with yourself or something, but it's not helping. When you see that you've done something wrong, and I'm not saying avoid this idea, I'm not saying go off into fantasy land, I'm saying accept you've done something wrong, but then stay on good terms with yourself so that you can learn from it. Now, if you don't learn from a mistake, if you, if you don't learn from what you got wrong, then you're not going to grow. And if you're not going to grow, then you're going to repeat the mistakes again and again and again. And you probably find that uh, those of you who are listening to this um, are in this trap and maybe sometimes been in this trap for decades, you know, that you're continually doing things wrong, you're continually falling behind the standards that you set for yourself, and you're continually having a go at yourself about it, well, there's your evidence. There's your evidence. You're not outgrowing it because having a go at yourself isn't working. Jesus didn't do this. He didn't do this with the disciples, you know. Now, he did correct them, and I'm not saying we we shouldn't correct ourselves, and we should be interested in the truth and, and so on. But did he condemn them? No. He forgave them. Right. So the key here is forgiveness. To live in forgiveness and to say, yes, I got that wrong and I immediately forgive myself. Right? Yes, I fell below the standard I've set for myself and I forgive myself for that. What happens immediately when you do this is that you leave yourself then open to learn the lesson. You can learn from the mistake, right? So that's the main takeaway from this chapter, is is that you're saying, put your relationship with yourself first. And if you do that, all kinds of good things can start to happen. So what are we saying here? We're... We're coming to a very big theoretical idea here, which I'm not putting forward as a massive knowledge claim. I'm simply saying it's a useful idea. And I want you to try it out. I want you to think about it. And the idea is this. I want you to think of the Old Testament as external. And I want you to think of the New Testament as internal. In other words... Well, I'll give you three examples. So let's take the example of fighting and battles, for instance, right? Now, the the battles in the Old Testament were external. They were real. People were getting slaughtered and murdered, you know, whether it's the prophets of Baal or, you know, whoever else it was. They They were getting slaughtered, right? Now, that's what I call external. That's real, right? But if you look at the fighting talk in the New Testament... I I would say that that's metaphorical. You know, I I always say to my my groups, you know, no one's getting stabbed by the sword of truth, you know. It's a metaphor. When Galatians 5.17 talks about, you know, a constant battle raging between your spirit and your flesh, it's a metaphorical battle. They're not actually fighting. They're literally, as the King James says, in opposition with each other. So there's one example of external and internal when we're talking about the same thing we're talking about fighting and battles two other examples one is the idea that 
um, the upper room in the New Testament. I mean, did you ever wonder why this random room, you know, has a such incredible importance in the Bible? You know, it's a room. Why does it get so much, you know, press? Like, if you look at what happened in that room, it's just unbelievable, you know? Apart from the fact that that's where Thomas touched Jesus' wounds, the fact, you know, where the Last Supper happened, all of this incredible stuff happened in that. And then after the crucifixion, you know, they're locked, the disciples are locked in that room. They've locked themselves in for fear, not of the Romans, for fear of the Jews, right? And Jesus, through locked doors and everything, just appears in this room. I mean, this is extraordinary stuff, isn't it? And he's saying to them, peace be with you. So what I'm saying is, imagine, as we will do as part of this book, I want you to take that idea of the chemical or the upper room, and I want you to place it inside yourself. In other words, you're saying that where I live in my head or in my consciousness is my upper room. And it works perfectly, right? Because this is where all the things in your life are going to start to happen, right? Remember that when they were filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, in that room, everything started from there. When they came out of that room, that was when they started to spread the word. So it's an in, inside job, as we say, right? So we put in the upper room inside. So that's one example. The biggest example, of course, is the example I'm giving and the main thesis of this book, which is that you take the external idea, at least as written in the New Testament, of discipling, and as well as doing everything it says and, and you know, following the discipling teaching and so on, we can also take the concept of discipling, which is Jesus plus disciples, and we can place this also internally. The more that you see this as an internal exercise and read parts of the New Testament that way, the more this will make sense to you. Because you have the mind of Christ and you also have your fleshly parts or disciples, as I now call them, who are produced from your own experience, just as the disciples that, uh, were produced from their own experience, and they will turn up, they'll intervene, and they will um, cause all kinds of bad habits that will cause you to do things just to protect you. They'll keep you safe, right? But Jesus was there to protect them. Jesus was there to show them a better way. And Jesus in you, your Christ-mindedness, will show your disciples a better way. So, that, those are three examples of how we can extern, take the external sense in the New Testament and make it internal. So, I won't say much more today, except that we, you know, I want you to think about how you may be caught in these type of traps. When, you know, whether it's medical science or whether it's culture or even the teaching of the church at times have got you in this constant battle with yourself. And the idea that when you stop hating yourself and when you stop fighting with yourself, you can learn a lot more and a lot more quickly. So, I think that's where I'll, I'll leave it today. 
I think this is um, a very important section of the book. And so I do want it to, you know, for us to take our time with this. And I'm very interested in what you might think about this. I know it's not a popular thing to leave comments on this stuff. But if you're a Christian and you're struggling with some of these things, you don't have to go into detail, but let me know how these ideas are impacting you and affecting you. So we'll be on chapter 10 next time and I'll be reading a section of the book from that chapter. So until then, blessings, bye for now.